Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, so yeah, I guess uh, welcome to the uh, first episode, or and potentially the final episode, really, of um, <laughs> the Thick Stouse cast or uh, the Bench cast, or we haven't decided what we're calling it yet. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds here. I, I think Thick Stouse cast is a really good name that fits your Twitter handle, and this is primarily your pod. I think. I, I was like urging some kind of bench Mason joke because it's both a tribute to one of our favorite players and a joke about you know where where we actually stand in the grand scheme of football, which is uh, we're riding the pine. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's Michigan just has been a a sideline team for you know what since two thousand six really. I mean, just never quite cracking the starting lineup it feels like we're just always you know right on the edge of making a real run right well I think the uh, that was the great Josh Gaddis quote um in his most recent zoom presser was like we were what did he say it was like we were right on the verge of scratching the surface of something <laughs> yeah the the Michigan football offseason quotes are always just so great I mean it's always you know it's tough though because I you know, Harbaugh always gets shit every offseason for saying stuff like, uh, you know, I thought we were really close. But it's like, think about the alternative to what he would be saying there, where it's like, you know, okay, like, what, what do people want him to say? Do people want him to say, like, yeah, we suck, you know, until we beat Ohio State. Like, everyone should just, um, you know, talk shit on us nonstop and, you know, like, not give us any credit. Like, of course he's got to talk up his team. And I feel like, you know – Michigan Michigan coaches get get so much shit for that. Yeah, man. Um, and, and I think like it's also the case, and every Michigan fan has heard this, and everyone's sick of hearing it. But it's like you know, Michigan has been very very close to going to the CFP a couple of times, and it feels when you get that close, it actually makes you feel like you're even farther away because you feel like you're cursed. But you know, I think Harbaugh. I think a lot of what Harbaugh says is actually some very level headed stuff. Like I I, I don't think that. I, I mean, I think people will discover if they listen to this pod, all 17 of you, maybe seven of you, uh, I think what you'll discover about me is that like, I'm actually quite fond of Michigan's coaches and I don't think that they say or do many things that I honestly disagree with. I think that the problem Michigan faces is just having to try to beat some really good teams that are tough for anybody to beat. And that's, that's what it comes down to. Right. I, I think Michigan is... Michigan football is, spe- is stuck in a, uh, a special kind of purgatory um, where, you know, there's 12 games every year, right? So three uh, three out of conference. Usually all those three are just, you know, easy blowouts, maybe one game against Notre Dame um, that they either win or lose depending on the year. Um, but, but two just easy blowouts and no one cares about. You don't get any credit for that. And then during conference play, basically 70% of the games are, you know, Again, like Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, whatever. You don't get any credit for that. Those games aren't any fun to watch. They just blow them out, um, especially under Harbaugh. They, that's, that's something they specifically do. They, they just beat teams that they should. And then, you know, you get you get the big games, and, and they've gone basically 500 against Wisconsin and Penn State. Um, and, and when they win those games, it feels great. But, you know, when they lose, it's like, oh, Michigan loses every big game. Um and then they finish the year against Ohio State where, you know, that and that's always the defining moment. You know, other teams get to uh, 
you know, finish, like Penn State finishes the year against Rutgers every year, and they lose to Ohio State, you know, basically as much as Michigan does, but they don't have to have that be the defining moment of their season the way it is for Michigan. Michigan will always be graded off of what they do against Ohio State, and to a certain extent that's fair, right? Because, you know, that comes with the territory of being a blue blood, of being, you know, the quote-unquote, you know, most uh, storied program in college football history, but they will always be graded off of that, and, and that puts Michigan fans in this, you know, special hell, um, reserved for, you know, where normally, you know, kind of good teams can kind of fly under the radar. You know, Michigan fans have to wear the Ohio State game like a, uh, you know, a badge of dishonor, I guess. Yeah, no, well, that's very well said. Um, I think that, I think, here's, here's my current thought as we kind of record freestyle here. I think a lot of this is good and maybe if we were to delve deeper that would be for the season preview um my my current thought is we should just start talking about the defense what do you think yeah absolutely let's just get right into it um so i think you know it's just starting off the general uh philosophy of us this offseason has been that michigan fans spend way too much time talking about the defense and worrying about the defense when the defense has been just really good since harbaugh got here meanwhile you know the, the main culprit of, of Michigan struggles has been, you know, the offense. And so Michigan should really just score more points. But with that said, we will go, do a deep dive into every, um, every uh, position group on the uh, defense. Yeah, I, I just want to add to that and say you're totally right. Like, this is, this is probably our hottest take, is that, like, there is so much worrying and rending of garments every year about the defense. And we'll get into that position by position and, and look at what that looks like. But... I mean, come on! Like last year, and to be clear, we we are also rent like we we are also worrying about the defense. We we talk about it every day, but oh yeah, I mean, it has weaknesses. Like there are things to worry about, but it's like the fact that Michigan, you know, fielded what was once again easily a top ten defense in college football with no defensive tackles, and I mean like none. (laughs) I mean, they had a three tackle. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. But like, (laughs) yeah, right, absolutely. Don Brown, you know, took what he had. He took the lemons, and he made, I think, pretty damn impressive lemonade yet again, as he does every single year. To you know, and I know we—I have so many things I want to say right now, but I guess my point is like, my, my hottest take is: is Michigan fans really need to worry less about defense until Don Brown like really does turn in a clunker of like a like a thirtieth ranked defense, which is like not even close to having happened yet. So yeah, absolutely. Um. It- a hundred percent. You know, Michigan fans worrying about defense is like, you know, changing a flat tire on your car while your house is on fire. The house being the offense, you know, which it was better last year, but like relatively speaking for like elite college football programs, the, the offense has been, you know, subpar at best the past, you know, five years. Yeah. I mean, to- absolutely. Without question. So, so yeah, let's, uh, let's hop right into it. Where do you want to start? Um, I mean, you have this nice list written out. Let's just let's start with DT, which is was it the biggest problem last year? Absolutely. So, as a recap, I mean, you know, how how would you describe defensive tackle play last year? I think it was a very unique situation in college football. Like, I'm not sure I've ever I've ever like closely followed a football team that literally only had one guy playing interior offensive line pretty much ever, and that one guy was Carlo Kemp, who was up to 290 maybe, that's probably a generous listing, and had been recruited as yep. a linebacker, which I think is an interesting fact about him. <laughs> yep. yeah. And he comes down yes. there and he plays, you know, he is, he is the DT in, in these, three-man, um, yep. these three-man fronts that they're showing. And I think what, we're, what I'm going to let you say most of this, but like 
it's to be clear, Carla Kemp is a useful player. He's just not, he can't be yeah. your only defensive tackle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, uh, Carlo Kemp gets underrated, I think. I think he was legitimately good, even against good offensive lines, against Iowa, against Notre Dame, um, against, you know, I mean, uh, is Penn State's good offensive line good? You know, we can get in more into that for the season preview, but uh, certainly talented. He was totally, totally fine and serviceable, and even maybe you could say a plus player. Um, the the problem was, you know, when, when rubber really hit the road against elite offensive lines, Alabama, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, he was completely overwhelmed as a nose tackle. I mean, you know, ejected from the play more times than not. And, and that's not, and, you know, credit him for even, you know, for being the warrior that he was um, and sticking it in there. Uh, but, you know, he, he's just not a nose tackle. Like you said, he's listed at 295 generously. Yeah, and, and I think that we kind of agree that, you know, he, he can be a part of a rotation and he has a role to play. Um, partly because, like, you know, he did face a lot of very good interior offensive line plays, some of which he just absolutely couldn't handle last year. And you know he he stood up against a lot of a lot of really you know decent decent linemen and like I just think he isn't in this unfortunate position where it's like I don't know I, I guess if like Michigan if you're only gonna have one defensive tackle like literally and that person is Mo Hurst is he gonna do better than Carlo Kemp yeah but like if you're in a position where you only have one guy you feel comfortable playing which is the the, the very peculiar position Michigan was in and I think like the key to that for me is like Michigan went through this really odd run where you know Solomon five-star washed out um and you know James Hudson transferred after being moved to offensive line and I guess they did play Dwum for so I, I was I was being a little bit exaggerating to say they didn't have any other defensive tackles they did play Dwum for some but like they clearly didn't believe in him and they let him walk even though this is like one of their thinnest position groups they let him walk when he could have been a fifth year this year so like that that just that series of like guys washing out and transferring and stuff like that is very rare for a top college football team and it's very rare for Michigan and that's one reason that I'm more optimistic for this year like they finally have some guys you know yeah absolutely I mean it's it, it really was a series of unfortunate events um you know first at offensive tackle uh, a couple of years ago and then now at defensive tackle um so you know with that said I think we kind of covered Carlo Kemp I think he'll be the same guy he was last year potentially um, a little bit better now that he might be allowed to play more three tech and not see as many double teams. Um, I think if, I think that he can win one-on-one against most big 10 guards. And I think he can hold up even against elite offensive lines if he's not seeing uh, double teams. Um, So, you know, the question becomes, can we find a functional nose tackle? Um, And, to be clear, the answer to that last year was absolutely not. Um, everybody that you know that they played, be it uh, Chris Hinton, um, who you know five-star uh, true freshman, Chris Hinton was um, bad. <laughs> I mean, to, to put it, you know, he, he started seeing he basically didn't play significant snaps until the end of the year, um, and when he did, he came in against Ohio State and Alabama and was. I mean, not completely overwhelmed, but but pretty, you know, clearly was not up to snuff there. Um, and then uh, you had <clears throat> uh, Donovan Jeter, who basically only played against Wisconsin, Alabama, and was even more um, overwhelmed than Chris Hinton. Um, and then, you know, uh, you've also got Mozzie Smith, who basically didn't see any time last year. 
So those are going to be the three guys that you're looking at um, for nose tackle. Uh, I mean, you know, why don't you just start off? What are your thoughts on, you know, um, prospects for finding a true nose? I mean, as far as, like, the the true nose tackle we dream of, I don't know that any of these guys are going to come in and be that guy and then, like, in this elite way that, that the teams that we look up to in college football always have those dudes, seemingly. But I will say that, like, it would be hard for DT play, interior defensive line play overall to get any worse than it was last year. I mean, yeah. truly, like, you truly have just this gaping hole right in the middle of the line that elite teams can simply run up for six or seven yards anytime they want last year. And I think my main thing starts with, like, I don't expect any of these guys to come in and tear it up. I would love it if they did. I would love it if Hinton really popped and, like, he has that kind of upside. Um, he could become very good in short order. But he doesn't really have to do, like, if, if he's just a Brian Monet, right, if these are guys that can just eat up space and hold up and, you know, not get thrown out of the play – then Michigan suddenly becomes much, much, much better, um, you know, on the defensive line than they were last year, and that's that's my hope. It's just a a serviceable line. I think probably closer to like the interior line of the 2018, 2018 team, where that was not a strength of the team, but they had enough bodies that they could like not just give those gaping holes every single time. Absolutely, yeah. One of these, I think, as a composite, you take those, you take Mozzie Smith, you take uh, you take Chris Hinton. Um, you take uh, Donovan Jeter, and then I guess you know, uh, depending on you know how much you wanna, how much stock you wanna put into uh, Jess Spate, those four guys um, as a composite, you just hope to get guys that can eat blocks, and then maybe towards the end of the year, Chris Hinton or Mozzie Smith, or I mean, I guess Donovan Jeter can still break out, start to become a real plus player. Um, so you know, I, I think prospect, it, it's it's going to get better because these are all the same guys plus one year of experience. Um, how much better it will be, you know, I think it'll be good enough against pretty much everyone on the schedule besides Wisconsin and Ohio State. But, you know, like we've been saying, that's what that's the measuring stick, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I think that Michigan's, I mean, Michigan's going to have to get creative. The, the thing about Don Brown that I think is irrefutable is, like, you can criticize the guy for various things. He's always shown the ability to get creative and to always find ways to get guys to the quarterback. I think the only time that he wasn't like hitting that the hell out of the, out of a quarterback was the sort of like ill-fated, you know, dark blood moon in the sky 2018 Ohio State game <laughs> where a team that I think according to is it according to PFF or ESPN or both, like Michigan has had the most quarterback pressures over the last 5 years of any single team in college football, more than Bama, more than Ohio State. They're always getting to the quarterback. Right, it's just a matter of what you sacrifice to do that, and it's also a matter yeah. of, uh, and it's really more with the interior defensive line. It's really more a matter of just the traditional run game. It really is just yeah. like the oldest school football shit of you can't, you just can't let the running back run through the hole for eight yards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you you can't you can't constantly be in second and four, second and second and four, second and three, second and two. Like th- those are the worst downs to be in in football, and that's you know it starts it starts on down one of uh, yeah I mean. You know, it's one place I think you're right. It's old school football shit is 100% correct. Um, And I will say as far as the pass rush goes, you know, to be clear also, people think of Don Brown as, you know, okay, you know, uh, Dr. Blitz or whatever. The past couple years, he really has been bringing a pretty moderate amount of pressure. So the pass rush has been genuinely good for the past, um, you know, past, I would say, two or three years they have been bringing generally less pressure. Um, 
So, I mean, you know, it's a good segue into uh, defensive end talk, and I think it, it works well because, honestly, part of the answer towards uh, of, uh, you know, interior defensive tackle play is going to be um, our defensive ends. Uh, so I'll let you start off talking about um, Hutch and uh, Hutch and Quiddy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite simple. I think, you know, it, according to PFF, according to 247, to everybody that – kind of hands out grades. Hutchinson and Pay are one of the best duos in the country, if not the best, as far as like veteran guys who have a proven track record. Um, you know, they might be the best defensive end duo in the Big Ten. Their only competition there is going to be how insane are Ohio State's defensive ends this year. Um, they're going to be pretty insane. I, I, I regret to inform you, but like uh, Hutchinson and Pay might be better. And I think that to sum it up, like they are, they do everything right very rarely make mistakes. They're both exceptional against the run, um, so much so that they were able to help out, you know, the the, the dire situation in, in the interior against the run. And they're both, you know, they're both good at, at shedding blocks and getting, you know, in the direction of the quarterback. Neither one of them is a super bendy freak speed rush guy. And I think that's that's the thing that you're gonna want to add is that like these guys are both phenomenal. They both have first round NFL draft potential. They both you just say tons of nice things about them. The only thing you can't say is that, like, they're not at Chase Young's level of, like, just bendy, tentacled freaks who get around blocks and get to the, you know, get to the quarterback. Yep. I think um, this team will miss Josh Uche. I think even though even though Michigan fans know that Josh Uche was clearly an elite pass rusher, I do think to a certain extent they took him for granted um, just because – you know, it's, it's always been taken for granted that Michigan has good pass rush. And I think Michigan fans didn't quite appreciate just how electric of a pass rusher um, Josh Uche was last year. Um, and so, you know, I think I think Quiddy and, and Hutch will both be, will both provide, good, not even good enough, they'll provide good, solid pass rush against pretty much everyone besides... Um, you know, teams that can hold up with them athletically, that's probably Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Um, and I think they'll do well against those teams, um, but it's going to be more, you know, it, you're going to have to find someone, whether it be um, Ojabo or, uh, you know, so, or I guess Luigi Villain could still uh, pop. You know, he was, a, he was a talented prospect. But ideally, you know, the, the one thing you're looking for is, is, a, is a true, true pass rusher. Yeah, I think I, I think you nailed it, and I think that the Uche thing is interesting to me just because, like, you could make a pretty good case that Uche, as far as, like, a pure pass rush kind of outside linebacker, you know, playing playing not with his hand in the dirt, like, you know, you could make a strong case he was the best sort of pure pass rushing, rushing missile, as it were, in college football last year. Like, that, you know, he's just a weapon that you would plug in and he would get there. Um, so you're not going to replace him, but it is also very clear from what the coaches are saying. Like they have, they have a position in various sets they're using that they just call Uche. Like they have, <laughs> they're trying to replicate that guy. Like you're not going to get so yeah. the two key points here are you're not going to get Uche back this year um, because he was just so good. But also Michigan wants a dude like that that they can move around and you know get creative pressures and have be be their speed rush guy. Um, so yeah, it, it comes down to probably some combination of Luigi Villain, who was a big time recruit. Uh, Taylor Upshaw, who was like a raw recruit with NFL bloodlines, and then David Ojabo, who was super raw, but also like he's the guy who could be that Uche athletic freak because every you know every report on him ever has been he's just this unbelievable athletic talent. Um, 
My I'm gonna I'm gonna here's my hot take, man. Uh, we've been pretty we've been pretty sober this whole time. My hot take is I think that David Ojabo has a really good chance to be that freakish breakout guy this year. Yeah, you know I think I think you're right. Um, I'll say I would say he'll he'll probably break out if if he breaks out. I'm gonna say it's mid season. I think he did miss some time being stuck in um, Ireland or where was he? I forget where his Scotland. Name. He's from Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> Whatever. I don't. One of those countries. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that he, he he probably missed some time. He probably missed some development. He was super raw, but I think he will start to pop. Um, similar to the way Uche did, you know, mid-season his sophomore year. Um, I, th- yeah. I think that's a, a pretty fair bet. At some point this year, you're going to look up and just he's, he's going to be coming around the edge. Yeah, and, th- and that's what Michigan wants from him. That's what they've been grooming him for. And, like, also to be clear, like, this is a case of a guy, many guys in this team, where the extra month of preparation has probably, like, been a godsend for them, right? Um, extra month and yeah. a half, really. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, like, because this team's been, I mean, they've, uh, Ojabo got there late, but this team's been together on campus for like months now in a way that is really unusual. So that's, I mean, that's just a general thing to keep in mind. Look forward to the season. Like, does that benefit Michigan more than other Big Ten teams? I don't know that it does, but it does help when you have a lot of young guys with upside that you want to get ready. Like those extra six weeks for the for the young dudes that they want to prep, very very crucial. I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, oh, well, I think one thing we should mention here is like kind of in this, you know, Sam outside linebacker pass rush situation. They have been hyping up Ben Van Sumeren as a mm-hmm. Sam guy. I don't know what to make of that. I don't think he's like an Uche type athlete. I I don't know if that's just hyping up the the kind of try hard guy or like <laughs> what do you make of that? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's tough. It, it's it's easy to say um, that. You know Noah Furbush, right? I, I feel like the uh, that's that's been the kind of the off-season chatter is that he's this is a guy we're going to bring in in three, three, five sets, and he's going to be, you know, more of a, a like a defensive fullback that they're just going to blitz. Um, you know, like what I will say is they have no reason to hype him up. You know, it's not like we, it's not like fans were really asking for a Sam or like it's like oh who's going to fill the Noah Furbush role, right? So. There's no reason to hype him up. It seems like maybe they just... But he does... I agree with you there, though, that that seems like the kind of guy where it's like a try-hard, like, just hard-headed guy that the coaches just kind of love, and they just give him tons of, you know, tons of uh, practice um, hype. You know, I I would say that I'd be surprised if he's... I'd be surprised if he's a major player, and that's nothing against the kid. I just I just feel like that's the kind of hype that we're seeing. Yeah, I, my like main Noah Furbush memory is when Michigan's defense was just beating the shit out of Florida during the 2017 season, which turned out to be terrible yeah. season. And like, and then Furbush, I believe, you know, he recovered that fumble in the end zone, and that was a, a huge, you know, feel good moment for the guy who's like an astronaut or whatever. And I feel like that's that's Ben Simmons' fate is like against Indiana or Maryland or something. It's like you're gonna look up. And he's going to be recovering a fumble and taking it to the house. And, like, we're going to all start chanting Rudy, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. I feel like uh, Noah Furbush, maybe they can just enroll Ben Van Sumeren in the uh, aero- aerospace engineering program um, and, you know, get him a Lockheed internship so that we can all, uh, you know, he- we can write a million stories about him in the offseason. And he can be our, um, our academic poster child. Yeah, Noah Furbush was the guy that, uh, you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure... That Harbaugh, uh, when they when they're talking to you know 
these high school kids' parents that uh, they're ta- they're they're talking up Noah Furbush and he's like, hey, your kid could be an aerospace engineer right before they just you know. Um, <laughs> Tell him that he's a general studies major. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, there's a couple. The, the more that I think about Van Sumer, and it's interesting, right? Because, like, one reason to hype him up and butter him up is because his brother is a big time recruit who's already committed to Michigan, to be clear. But, like, you want to make sure you get that kid to campus oh, because that I kid didn't is even a. Think about that. Yep. Yeah, that kid is a large individual who is a def- looks like a pure defensive tackle, and like, like, yeah, keep keep that kid happy. Um, yeah, and, I, uh, I, you know what, I totally. I bet you anything they're gonna try to get him as much garbage snaps as possible, or not, you know, like borderline, like get him some snaps because they want his brother to come in. Um, we could be wrong; he could be great. I just think like I, I think he's probably fine. I think that he's probably, but like they want to keep him on campus because of his brother. I didn't even think of that, and that's honestly a great point. Yeah, and I think like I mean. that and also like Michigan does still have this very old school culture that has probably gone by the wayside at places like, you know, Ohio state and Alabama where like they do praise those practice all-stars. And I think the message there is often like, we need you David Ojabo to be more like this guy in practice, not because he's better than you, but because like, look how, look how hard he's trying in practice. And that's like just old school football, you know, football coach shit. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and especially, especially, I mean, especially, Don Brown, who is the most old school football guy. That's such an East Coast football coach thing, you know, like Triard, Massachusetts, like, you know, even, I mean, I played high school football in Pennsylvania. Like, I know a million guys like Don Brown, who, you know, this is not, this is not an insult on Don Brown, but like, that's a very East Coast football thing to like, talk up the, uh, the Triard, uh, white kid. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's, these are the charming things about the whole Michigan football pomp and tradition <laughs> thing, right? Um, exactly. Don't we all love it, folks? Um, <laughs> so, I so mean, yeah, let's, yeah. Like, go ahead, sorry. I was going to ask if you want to talk more about DL or do linebackers or? Um, yeah, I mean, my last note on DL is just, uh, I think as far as DNs go, you know, it, it is important, especially with, you know, the, the relative weak spot at defensive tackle that both Luigi and, or not Luigi, uh, Quiddy and Hutch are great in the run. Um, and I think that we will continue to see the trend of um, them both, you know, playing to spill, which just means, you know, when there's a pulling lineman, they're gonna, they're not just gonna like play the edge. They're gonna dive inside and try to, you know, assist in the interior. Um, and I think this, this is gonna, you know, you'll see teams try to take advantage of that. And I think it's just mostly gonna work well um, until, you know, the Wisconsin game, and then we'll really find out, like, hey, is the interior any better? Um, so. That's that's my last thoughts there. Yeah, I, I think that's broadly like my my big take here is that because you have Hutch and Quiddy coming back and we know how good they are, um, and even with the loss of Uche, I, I do think that having functional a functional rotation at defensive tackle means this will probably be a somewhat better defensive line overall, and yep. and that it will be adequate for Michigan to achieve its goals, and that it, that I don't think I don't anticipate defensive line being the like fatal flaw here. Let's put it that way. Yep, and we will get to that fatal flaw in a couple of bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so let's uh, let's talk linebacker. I think this is probably a quick section. I think we all kind of know what to expect from linebacker here. But um, uh, what 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 are your thoughts here? I mean, Cam McGrone is like maybe my favorite player in the team, just because I love. I mean, I, I love the fast linebackers that Michigan excels at recruiting and developing. Obviously, Devin Bush, Jabril Peppers being two superstar examples of that. And I think, like, you know, McGrone's an athletic freak. He could go to the NFL in, in a high round after this year. I hope he doesn't and sticks around. But, like, I mean, what can you say? Like, he's just a monster. I think in your notes you have, like, he's not 
as instinctive as Devin Bush. He's not as much of a savant because, like, almost no one is. But, like, athletically, um, just an absolute beast. I mean, I was looking back at him, like, ragdolling Jack Cohn by the goal line during that disastrous Wisconsin game. And it's just like, I mean, that's that's the dude. This is the modern inside linebacker you want. Um, and I think he's going to have just a monster year. Yeah, I think I think he's great. And I think he, he again, this is a piece that, you know, fits perfectly in modern football and, and especially fits perfectly with Michigan's defense because you have these the, the trade-off for having um, defensive ends that are playing to spill is that you're going to have them diving inside so you're not going to have them holding the edge and when that happens you need fast linebackers to get to the edge against you know whatever H-back um, you know Ohio State or or anyone is running out there that's you know usually just some some speedy little slot um, and so uh, he's the perfect piece for this defense. Um, I think he's he he definitely has even room to grow. He was great last year, and I think he's gonna um, just with, just with an off season of being the sure starter. Um, I think he'll he'll be more ready for things that team teams are gonna try to put him in the wrong gap. Um, where you know that might have worked last year when he was you know still a young player. Um, I think this year he's gonna be even better, and he's gonna look. He's not gonna be Devin Bush. Um, nobody's Devin Bush, but. He, he's going to look like Devin Bush, and he's going to make a lot of those, you know, crazy plays that you saw Devin Bush make. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw it last yeah, year. So, like, he wasn't as good as Devin Bush. He made more mistakes than Devin Bush. But also, like, he was getting to the edge in a way that, like, was almost indistinguishable from Devin Bush. And, like, I think the really key thing here is, like, Michigan has always had these guys that are getting to the edge. And, like, that is that is probably the single greatest thing about Don Brown's defenses. He finds these guys, and they are just – you're not going to turn the corner on them. Um you can, yeah, that's that's how it is. Absolutely. Um, so then, you know, the second inside, the starting inside linebacker is going to be uh, Josh Ross, um, who was, you know, kind of has had a, a bit of a strange career so far. Um, 2018, he split starting reps with Devin Gill, who is clear, like one of, the, like again, one of those practice guys, right, that we talk about that that Michigan just falls in love with, but he's clearly not as good as Josh Ross. Um, Josh Ross is clearly the best player. Um, and then coming into, you know, this year, the thought was, okay, this guy is, um, this guy's going to be like the leader of the defense. He's going to have a breakout year. Um, and he, he starts off, he starts off great against Middle Tennessee. And then against Army, he just eats a ton of blocks. And then against Wisconsin, he finally gets pulled for Cam McGrone. Um, who, you know, goes on to have the season we just described. So got Wally pipped a little bit um, by Cam McGrone as well as uh, uh, Jordan Glasgow to a lesser extent. Um, but that said, you know, I, I don't think he, – he seems like this offseason they've basically um, – he seems like this offseason they've basically, you know, anointed him the starter. Um, and uh, I, I have no reason to believe that he's going to be anything but, you know, really solid. Yeah, and he's got a lot of experience. Um, his brother was a Michigan linebacker. Like, he just seems like a guy with definitely sufficient physical tools to play in the NFL, maybe not as a superstar high pick, but, like, he's got the physical ability to do that, and he's also just, like, this leader on the team with a ton of experience. So, like, linebacker in general for me in this program right now, looking at their next incoming class, looking at the young guys they have currently, linebacker's probably my area of least concern um, just because, like, what can you say? Don Brown and this program have been lights out at recruiting and developing these guys. They've got a deep bench. 
I mean, they've got like like one thing we're not even planning to talk about, but like you know, Kalel Mullings, this like superstar from Massachusetts who was very high ranked as a Massachusetts linebacker, and like if he'd been playing in like Florida, would probably have been like a a top fifty kid or something, you know. Um, like he's in there too deep, and you know, I I, I hope we don't see him too much this year because that would mean somebody was hurt. But it's like I'm totally psyched for him. I'm psyched for the next guys coming in. Like this is just this is just going to be a strength, and this is one of those position groups that like I think way over sufficient for what Michigan you know needs. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I, I don't think we're going to be worrying about inside linebacker at all. I think they're going to be very good. Um, so, you know, I think the only real question is uh, Viper. Um, so, you know, moving on to, you know, the, the third quote-unquote linebacker position, um, which is, you know, as we all know, I think everyone's heard now it's a uh, – I don't know if you've heard about this, Connor. It's, it's a hybrid um, between linebacker and safety. <laughs> Ah, is that what Viper is? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, though, because, like, I guess the coaches have been – because, of course, recruiting is mostly, like, beguiling and bedazzling, you know, 16-, 17-year-old kids. They've been, like, telling, like, these edge guys, these, like, Uche-ass guys that they're also Vipers because I guess it sounds cool, which is just, like, incredibly confusing. Everyone's a Viper now, I guess. (laughs) I I have no idea. It's the whole defense made up. Everyone's Jarrell Peppers. Everyone's Uche. Um yeah, I think that's more like it's always just trying to tell these 18-year-old kids what they want to hear. Um, you know, not lying, but but lying a little bit, right? I mean, you got to get them on campus somehow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Michigan's got um, the, the heir apparent to – this is an area where I think Michigan fans, again, have kind of taken it for granted. You know, Jabril Peppers was great, um, and Kalik Hudson was um, also – you know, more up and down, but for the most part, just very solid, you know, constantly holding up the edge. Um, you know, so that they're going to see, like, a, a Viper other than, uh, you know, Kalik Hudson or Jabril Peppers um, for the first time. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the heir apparent in the, in the offseason was uh, Michael Barrett, um, who kind of, you know, switched around from running back uh, to linebacker. Um, but the coaches clearly, as a recruit, you know, prioritized him. Um, I think they, they thought he was a perfect fit for Viper. Um, he's a big, kind of like muscled up dude. I think he's more on the uh, he's more on the Kalik end of the spectrum or more of the linebacker end of the spectrum um, than you know safety. Um, and I I expect him to basically do the same thing as Kalik Hudson. I just think Viper's a spot where you know it's they've got so much talent feeding into it. Um, you know, you've got the safety room and the linebacker room basically competing for one spot. And I just don't, I think it's, I think it's a high floor. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious here. Cause as you said, like this has been the position of Peppers and then Hudson for three years. Um, and we haven't seen anybody else do it essentially, except I guess Glasgow before he switched to, to being a will linebacker was, uh, did this some, but like, as you said, Vipers get to put up stats against bad teams because they get just like you know run straight to the spot where they can make a tackle for loss, which is like a fun thing to do as a football player. Um, I think my big my big question that I'm intrigued about is like they have you haven't mentioned Anthony Solomon yet. He's been you know getting some hype. It's like how how good he's been in practice, and they're definitely going to have to play him. Um, and then he's been pushing Barrett. What that tells me is that you might see both of those guys in the field at various points, whatever wacky stuff Michigan is planning to do. It also tells me that because Solomon is a lighter guy, we might see more versatility of the 
Viper in coverage, kind of more on the, the DB end of things at various points. Um, just because, like, Hudson... So it's it's very it's actually quite hard for any linebacker to be as good at Kaylee as Kaylee Hudson was at just like straight line you know attack 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 he's like the greatest punt blocker in Michigan history probably um, yeah and he was great at that like to be clear that's what he excelled at I you know I, I don't want to rip on the guy too much I think it is very possible to be better in coverage than he was though um, yes I don't know about Barrett being that I agree with you that Barrett is very much a linebacker and a thing Solomon might be a little bit different and Michigan might be opening up how they do various things in coverage. I mean, this is one thing I want to say to fans, you know, again, all seven of you that listen to this, like we've all moaned and worried about, you know, Michigan's press man, what Don Brand wants to do, not holding up against the most elite teams and how, how many teams, like how many weapons these top teams are throwing out there against you and how are you going to cover all these guys? Oh my God, Chris Olav is, is 20, or 20 yards past his <laughs> defender. Oh my God, no. You know, like what are we going to do? And I, and I think like, you know, Don Brown gets it. Like, they're, they're recruiting and development. And he brought in Bob Shoup, who's this, like, savant, honestly, at using kind of under underrated, under-talented teams against, like, the most monstrous offenses you'd ever see. Um, and, and there is a lot of thought here about, like, creative ways to cover and what it's going to look like to actually try to defend all these, you know, explosive receiver packages that you're going to see. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I just wanted to say, like, I think the Viper is going to play an interesting role in that equation. That's what I'm looking for here. Yeah, and I think that's interesting what you said about Khalil Hudson kind of struggling in coverage. And, you know, honestly, the same thing was said about Jabril Peppers. I don't know. I mean, real, uh, real 2016 heads remember the, uh, the draft process um, in which it was, hey, Jabril Peppers really isn't that good at covering. And he's not, honestly. Like, he's, he's kind of a liability on true, you know, slots. And he has been on, in the NFL so far. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a misunderstanding of what, you know, the the Viper position, it, it's not a nickel, you know. The Viper position's job is to shut down the edge and then be more athletic against, uh, like, bubble screens and, and sweeps and just, like, you know, it, it, there's, you're supposed to not run into a situation um, like with, uh, you know, Jake Ryan, really, you know, if we're going back to the Hoke years where, you know, Jake Ryan's a really good linebacker, but at the end of the day, when, you know, when uh, when you've got an elite slot receiver that can really, you know, make someone miss in space, like, he's just not that guy. And, um, you know, Jabril Peppers and Khalid Hudson kind of were that guy that it could make that stop, you know, out in space. Um, and I think Michael Barrett will be that guy, and I think, you know, Anthony Solomon is going to be uh, the more of a, you know, a coverage, a coverage asset, like you said. Um, so, you know, kind of moving up the chain here to uh, safety, um, you know, I think this is potentially the strongest starting position on the team. Uh, what do you think about it, Connor? Yeah, if we assume that the two starters are Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins, um, you know, Brad Hawkins is apparently has gone from a guy whose rep with Michigan fans was he made a lot of like boneheaded mistakes which Don Brown fucking hates like he will bench you yeah. <laughs> he will bench you the rest of the season if you make a bad enough mistake <laughs> in coverage um yeah and that happened to Hawkins I think in 2018 essentially but like he's he's gotten over that and I know he's gotten over that because the insufferable nerds at PFF have have him grading <laughs> out well and the, the way to get a good PFF grade is not to do anything spectacular it's to never make mistakes so like just a rock solid boring safety and then Dax Hill he's like you know, Nick Saban, of all people, said was, like, the greatest safety prospect he'd ever recruited. Um, pretty high praise there. And, like, you know, Dax Hill, what can you say about him? He was probably the fastest recruit in the entire country in his year. Uh, just an absolute freak. Can do 
probably anything in in the, in the secondary. And that that brings up the most interesting question for me, which is like, is Dax is this going to be a safety duo or is Dax going to be roaming all over the field, kind of like a Charles Woodson style cornerback? Um, but I mean, what I guess first I should ask your take on the safeties generally, but. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, my take, you know, I think I think Brad Hawkins is a really good safety. I mean, PFF thinks he's an All-American. I don't think he's an All-American um, just because, you know, I think I think what like what you said, right? P- he's he's the kind of guy that grades out well because it's like, wow, he's in the, he's he's making the tackle again. Wow, he's like he's not giving up any yardage after contact. Like, you know, he's he's always just making the tackle. He's in the right spot. He's in the right zone. Um, I you will see him get overwhelmed when he is called into action to cover an elite slot receiver one-on-one. Um, you know, namely, we saw that against K.J. Hamler. Um, or no, not K.J. Hamler. Uh, yeah, K.J. Hamler, right? He's the guy from Penn State. Yeah, that's Penn State. I always get confused. Yes, yeah, because isn't K.J. Hill was Ohio State last year. I always get confused. <laughs> yeah. All of these nightmare slot receivers in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, will see, you will see a pattern developing. We are all terrified of slot receivers. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I think you'll see him struggle when he's really called upon to, you know, do some heavy lifting and man-on-man coverage. But, I, you know, like, you would hope that, that Don Brown will realize this year that he has one really solid, boring safety and one, um, and one elite-level athlete, you know, in Dax Hill. And he will... Uh, you know, keep Dax Hill as the guy that is mostly lined up on slots. Um, yeah, I, I think insofar as it's a safety covering slots, like it's going to have to be Hill. And the fact that Dax Hill has been working out with the cornerbacks a little bit shows that that, that seems like a lock at this point. Like if we're yeah. talking about, you know, traditional safety play and, and one of your safeties is covering a slot, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Dax. I, I think what's interesting about Dax is are they going to bring in some of these other guys that they've hyped up uh, like Sammy Faustin's getting hype, which I know has freaked people out because he was so raw and we haven't heard, you know, haven't heard his name in years, and now we're hearing it suddenly. Or Makari Page, R.J. Moten, the like, you know, the stud true freshman. Are those guys going to be in a fair amount? And we're going to see Dax roaming around, doing, you know, these heroic superstar things that you can do when you have, uh, you know, these these monster versatile athletes. And I kind of the kind of way that I'm leaning is like it wouldn't surprise me, for instance, if we saw Dax. Uh, covering Rashad Bateman a lot in the first game. I think that, that that things seem to be trending in that direction where Dax will be playing safety, will be playing corner, will just be roaming around the secondary as this kind of uh, superhero player for Michigan. And I would, I'm probably okay with that. But I, that's that's the big question mark about safety play, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think... So so I guess one, one thing to talk about, um, I think that we... Michigan fans a little bit right now are taking Dax Hill being great for granted. And I just want to put the asterisk here that he was not an elite safety last year when he played. I think he will be. Like, I think, I think you know, Nick Saban legitimately was saying, like, this is the best safety we've ever recruited. He's a five-star. He's an absolute athletic freak. And I, I, I have total confidence that, you know, he's going to be um, an elite player, like a, an All-American level player by the end of the year. Um, but I do think, like, it says a lot that Michigan is, you know, I think that it says a lot that the coaches are kind of using him as the fix-all at this point for um, maybe potentially depth issues elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, that said, I mean, I think 
I think he will be in a lot of man coverage this year. I think he's probably the best man coverage option on the team. Um, and he graded out that way, you know, for PFF, uh, you know, as, as a very good man coverage uh, safety. Um, and I think, you know, when Michigan goes nickel, I think Dax Hill is going to be the nickel corner. And that second safety will probably be either, like you said, one of those stud true freshmen or Sammy Faustin. Um, and I think ultimately whoever it is will probably be exploitable to a certain extent and hopefully Don Brown chooses to give them easy assignments. Yeah, I think that's all extremely well said. I, I expect Dax to be used um, in this kind of, you know, go fix our biggest problem in the secondary role essentially uh, this right. year. Because I mean, partly just because like, there are holes in the secondary that we'll, we'll get to some more of those in a second. But like, also when you have a guy that good, like, yeah, he should be the, the solution to your, to your biggest problem. I, I'm fine with that. And I think that actually, if that were the case, that would be an improvement on some of the, the dogma that Don Brown has been criticized for. I think also a really key point about safeties. They brought in Bob Shoup, who's like, you know, this famous, famous for like um, scouting and developing underrated safeties Ed is like this coverage savant who, you know, was a defensive coordinator in the in the SEC and had to scheme against these just outrageous receiver rooms. And like him being on campus actually makes me feel very good. I feel like that's a, that's a, that's Don Brown saying like, yeah, we need to figure out how to not get totally used by some of these like very tip top receivers that we're seeing. Um, and so, you know, I expect I expect some progress on that front in terms of like flexibility, creativity, cleverness on Michigan's part. The problem is that the personnel is not as great as it could be, right? Um, yep. Not not the safety room I, so much. I mean, you have we have two great safeties, but that's a good transition to the cornerbacks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you know, we're, we're talking about what Dax Hill being kind of the fix all on this defense, and we will now kind of move into what he is fixing. Um, so let's talk about the one relatively sure thing, uh, Vincent Gray. Um, kind of a, you know, part the, the, the best member so far of that 2018 class of just tons of lanky corners. Um, last year he was totally fine. Um, clearly the coaches trusted him. Uh, he was fine in coverage. Um, nothing crazy. Uh, and I think he'll probably improve a little bit this year. Um, but I also do think that cornerback is one of those positions where you sort of have it or you don't. Like, I think you come in as the first year that you really see significant time. Like, that's kind of generally what you're going to be. You know, you probably get a little bit better over the next couple of years, but it's a big, like, athleticism dominant position. What are your thoughts on Vincent Gray? Well, I, I think I have a little bit more favorable view of him just because, like, yeah, when you're the third cornerback behind Lavert Hill, who's one of the greatest college corners, if not pro prospects that I've seen. And then Ambry Thomas, who is that, you know, high pro upside, just incredible athlete. Like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not spectacular the way those guys are. You're not, you don't, you don't see him, you know, jumping routes and making outrageous interceptions. Um, He's not doing these superstar cornerback things, but I also can't remember a single time last year when I was like, Oh, Vincent Gray is getting torched by these OSU or Bama receivers. Oh, Vincent Gray just can't hack it out there. So like the, the, there, there haven't been moments where I've really noticed his limitations. Um, if, if we were to establish like the category of a boring cornerback, I think Vince Gray is like probably that essentially. And I, and I think he's shown that he can hack it against some pretty good receivers. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little higher on him than most fans are. I, I get that he's probably he's not going to be as good as we hoped Ambry Thomas would have been. He's probably not going to be as good as, you know, upperclassman Levert Hill. But, like, I need to see him really make some some boners before I really, you know, um, <laughs> before I before I rip on the guy too much. And then, you know. That's that's yeah. a quotable. Uh, Connor needs to see Vincent Gray make some boners. <laughs> um, <laughs> before, yeah, just... before he's ready to pass judgment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, like the guy. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you. I, I guess I, I did come off a little bit more pessimistic than I, than I wanted to. I, I think he will be, especially if we move more towards zone defense this year, I think Vincent Gray could be a very good zone corner. The, the coaches clearly trust him. Um, I, do I think he's an NFL player? I do not. Um, do I think he's going to be, you know, next in line of these, like, lockdown man, uh, lockdown uh, Michigan man coverage corners? I do not. Um, and I think I think this team will miss uh, – I mean, we didn't even talk about Ambry Thomas not playing this year, but we, this team is going to miss Ambry Thomas. Um, yeah, no question. That's the biggest loss easily, I think. A- absolutely. It really is kind of a devastating loss, if we're going to be honest. Um so then moving on to that second corner spot, um, you know, <laughs> well, it's yeah, really, yeah. Uh, do you, do you want to go? I know you, you had scheduled, um, your big note here before this, the show is that you wanted to rant about, uh, cornerback pessimism. So this is your time to do so. Well, I, I think I do want to rant, but I think that the, the kind of, I think I should give you a chance to give the more conventional take of like what the problems are and what the worries are. And then I'll go into my rant. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Um, So, you know, I mean, the problem here is that Michigan has, you know, pretty much the the 2018 class where they took, um, you know, that, that whole year, they, the only thing that burnt that defense, the 2017 defense was slot fades. Um, And as an overcorrection for that, that offseason, we took like seven relatively lowly rated, lanky, um, uh, you know, defensive backs. Now, um, I think, I don't know if Benjamin St. Juice was actually in that class. I don't think he was. Um, but it was, you know, Vincent Gray has turned out pretty okay. Um, and, you know, Miles, Miles Sims pretty much transferred, you know, as soon as he got on campus. who He was probably the highest rated recruit. Um, and then, you know, it's been a lot of guys that really haven't seen the field yet. So the guy that, you know, we're talking up is, um, has kind of been Jemon Green, who, uh, the coaches pursued like a top priority. If you want to be, if you want to be optimistic about it, that is the optimistic take. Um, he seems to, Don Brown recently said he was the quote unquote leader in the clubhouse for the second cornerback spot. Um, if you want to take an optimistic view of things, I think that it's good that he's beating people out. That's always a good thing to hear from practice. Um, I don't necessarily, you know, I mean, he didn't play at all last year. And this was a team that probably could have used another cornerback. So, you know, I think it's possible that he's just putting it together in year three. That happens to a lot of players. Um, I also don't necessarily expect him to be a plus player. I think, I think if he turned out to be average this year, that would be um, that the, the the staff and the fans would would be thrilled, um, and then you've got a couple guys, DJ Turner, who the the, the staff has kind of talked up, but you know is not looking to be a starter, um, and then Jalen Perry, who I think you know 
jury's the the jury's not out on him, but uh, it's looking less than promising. He's probably you know the third guy on that list. Um, so you know, I guess that's the conventional take, Connor. What is your um, more optimistic take? So I just want to say that was a really good rundown and and sober and level headed. And I'm gonna stop being level headed for a second and just tell Michigan fans, <laughs> Michigan fans, calm the fuck down, everybody. Like. Yes, cornerback is a weakness on this roster right now, especially with Ambry being out. Yes, we're not likely to have anybody who's as good as Ambry Thomas, Levert Hill, or David Long, who are like the last three guys who dominated that position for the last couple of years. So yes, it's totally valid to say this is weaker than it has been in past years. It's an area of concern. It could be a thing that hurts Michigan in big games. On the other hand, I'll go back to where we started this. Michigan under Don Brown has always fielded excellent defense. I don't mean good defenses. I mean they're like the worst one he's fielded at Michigan has been like I think eleventh in S and P plus defense, which is which is great. <laughs> and like and he's doing that often with huge position gaps. Like last year, notably, you know, nothing in the middle um, on the defensive line. And so like while I would love to have Ambry Thomas and David Long on this team, like obviously I would. I would love it to have like surefire NFL corners out there. Like of course, but at the same time. Like, if anybody can figure out how to make this work, if anybody can uh, can prevent the worst-case scenarios, it's Don Brown with a little bit of help from his buddy Bob Shoup, and I'll also throw Brian Jean-Marie in there. Like, I'm a big fan of this defensive coaching staff in general, but Shoup is going to be key in the secondary. And I think also just, like, more— and also Mike Zordich. So Zordich is one of the best cornerback coaches in the country in terms of development, like, hands down. He absolutely is. He's not as great of a recruiter— um, which he gets criticized for. But, like, you know, if Zordich is saying that Jamon Green is the guy, I know that it makes people nervous uh, to, ha- to have a guy emerging whose name we haven't even heard the last two years. I get it. It worries me, too. I would probably feel a little bit better if it had been DJ Turner because DJ Turner is supposed to have that elite speed and that Green may not. I will say this for Green also. Um, he was on a Texas state champion as a junior. Like, he's, you know, he was playing big-time high school ball, and he's a guy that if you go back and look at it, you know, has had the frame, had the speed. It was a little bit puzzling why he wasn't higher rated as a recruit. So there's so many reasons to feel good. The reason I'm saying calm down is because we'll get to this in our offense preview and our general season preview. But like, I don't think that the defense is the thing that's going to derail Michigan. And I know that we all have nightmares where we see Brandon Watson, you know, like trotting five yards behind Chris Olav, and like that's seared into our memories. But that one game aside where 1DB did not look adequate, Michigan had a phenomenal defensive back play under Harbaugh and under Don Brown. Um, it might be a, This might be the worst year. I grant you that under Brown. This could be the worst cornerback play we've seen. But the worst cornerback play we've seen from a Michigan defense under Don Brown with Zordich on the staff, with Shoup on the staff, I still think is going to be pretty good. And I don't think it's going to be the thing that sinks Michigan this year. That's my rant. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I pretty much agree with what you're saying there. You know, I'm a little bit more pessimistic, but here's one thing. I, I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say, first of all, you know, for, uh, what's, what's the quote? It's, um, if, if the, oh God, what is it? If the process that you followed led you to this, like what good is the, if the rules you've had you know, led you to this, you know, what, what good are the rules, right? So the past two years that, you know, we've had, you know, this great cornerback play, if, if you're really, were, if your measuring stick for this, for this team is Ohio State, it has not bought you much <laughs> against Ohio State. 
Ohio State has thrown for you know a million, roughly a million yards the last years <laughs> against Michigan. So I, like it is not, it literally cannot get worse from a cornerback play perspective against Ohio State, right? So you know, I mean, maybe like if you're really gonna put on your your sunshine glasses here, like maybe uh, maybe just being forced to play more zone will you know make this more of a bend don't break defense. And maybe that looks a little bit worse against some teams, but maybe it looks a little bit better against Ohio State. Um, and then the second thing I'll say is that, look, I'm, I started rooting for Michigan um, in 2011. You know, that, that uh, Denard's second year as the starter. Uh, Brady Hoke's first year. So, I mean, I picked a really great time. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember when guys like, you know, Blake Countess, who, I mean, is, is like ended up being in the NFL but was not – any of the corners that Michigan's had under Harbaugh. Guys like Blake Countess, guys like JT Floyd, guys like Ramon Taylor were cornerbacks on Michigan's defense. And none of those guys, none of those guys were NFL players. And you would just see, like, it, it wasn't disastrous. It was, like, you. it just it just means that, you know, you're, you're going to give up, like, five-yard out routes every once in a while which is a thing that every defense in America does and Michigan has not done under Harbaugh. It, it's like, it, I just feel like Michigan fans don't remember what normal corners look like um, because we've just been basically since 2015, I mean, even if you want to go to 2014 when, when Jordan Lewis kind of took over, but I'll, I'll say 20, ever since 2015, like against teams other than Ohio State, Michigan has just like not had people open at all. You know, so yeah. I would just say it's, it's, it's been ridiculous, you know? It's been ridiculous. And I think, like, it, this is the key point Michigan fans need to internalize. Like, it is, it is going to be very hard, if not impossible, to achieve parity with a team that's recruiting as well as Ohio State if you're not close to a level of recruiting. But the idea of beating them, you know, so I'm saying beating them half the time versus, like, beating them once, which is all we've been, we've been asking for. Like, it can be done, and it could be done by teams with inferior talent. And it's done via things like what we saw Kansas State do against Oklahoma, where you have, um, you know, their vastly inferior cornerbacks are lining up with like just tremendous leverage and are trying to force the Oklahoma receivers to certain parts of the field, and you're you're just for trying to dare the quarterback to make certain throws, and if you can make them, at, you know, in time, like you're fucked. But like that's the game in college football is like you, you you know, you posit you posit what your weaknesses are and you play within those and you gamble. And Michigan has been a team that has tried very hard. It, like, under 2018, it almost felt like the ethos was like, well, we don't have weaknesses. We don't have to play that way. And, like, then, lo and behold, yep. our, pass, our pass rush fell apart. And it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Suddenly, everything is a weakness. It looks, it, yeah. It's like, oh, no. Like, we didn't – it's like you had this, like, tremendous first wall, right? And the, the kaiju got past the wall. And it's like, oh, damn, we uh, don't have anything else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Brandon uh, Watson was not your Jaeger suit. Like <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Um. So I mean that that's that's our general take, and I mean I think you know, what I think the trade off Michigan fans have to be ready for is like if we you know I think both of us generally think that they're going to go more cover three, more cover two, more zone, try to be a little bit more bend don't break, which is the trend even at the NFL level. I mean I. I watch. I, I'm a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles, um, and the Eagles do not have a good secondary or good linebacker play. <laughs> but what they do pretty well and have done pretty well under, uh, you know, for the last like uh, three or four years of of uh, Doug Peterson's uh, coaching tenure 
is they play bend but don't break defense and they get explosive plays from their defensive line that put you behind the chains. Um, so I think that's more of what we're looking at. And I think what Michigan fans have to be ready for is that that's going to mean that we are not going to be like holding Indiana or, I mean, Indiana's a bad example because they've actually done okay against this defense, but they're not going to hold like, I don't know, I, I, I'll say Michigan State, right, as a, for like a bad offense. They're not going to hold Michigan State to like 150 yards of offense like they have the past couple of years where it's just like LOL, like they literally cannot do anything. Michigan State is going to get like five yards easy on like a bubble screen every once in a while. And they're probably going to hold them to like three, you know, maybe 300 yards of offense, which is still like a bad number. And they're going to like, it's going to probably be enough to win like almost all of the time. But it's not going to be just like this completely, completely dominant defensive performance that we've seen against lesser teams. And that's the trade-off for trying to be a better defense against Ohio State. Yeah, that's very well said. And like, you know, it, it what it comes down to for me is exactly what you said, which is would I love to have better cornerbacks? Of course. But also when having incredible NFL caliber cornerbacks has bought you nothing. And I mean nothing against Ohio State. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Let's try something else. Maybe having like merely maybe having cornerbacks who are more like Iowa cornerbacks that, you know, have actually right. some somehow God knows how done a better job against Ohio State sometimes. Like or Michigan State quarter or Michigan State cornerbacks yeah. or Purdue cornerbacks to a certain extent. Like teams that have have a lot less talent than Michigan, but have done better against Ohio State. Yep. And that's that's the key to, to all of this is doing better against Ohio State. And that's probably <laughs> yeah. this is a good place to wind down the defense section. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um Any- so I mean I think I think our overall notes on the defense is that uh you know, defensive tackle and cornerback will – I think this defense is going to be enough to beat pretty much every team on the schedule. They're going to do enough to beat pretty much every team on the schedule besides, you know, potentially Wisconsin, who's going to be a tough matchup for the defensive tackles, and maybe Ohio State, who can exploit the cornerbacks. Um, you know, it's it's going to be another one of those defenses that is top 15 in SP+. Plus. Um, and you know, but everyone's going to judge based on one game. So, you know, maybe they do better in that one game. Yeah. Well, I mean the bar, the bar you need to beat this year is give up less than 56 points. So if you can do that, (laughs) we're going to be very happy. And, and that's a good segue because the key to giving up less than 56 points is going to be having the offense on the field more and the offense scoring more. And that's, that's going to be our next segment. (laughs) Absolutely.